Hello, everybody. This is Luisa Juan with Journey Within Reflections podcast. I have a special guest here. His name is Charlie Trujillo. And I talked to him before, and he actually encouraged me when I was uh, beginning to write my book. I read his book, Soldados, Chicanos in Vietnam, and, you know, I was really inspired by it. So he's going to share some things that he went through in his life and what he learned in his journey, because we talk about a lot about the journey that we have. So Charlie's going to, you know, share with us. And, and so, Charlie, you know, thank you for being here. Oh, man, it's an honor, Vato. Thank you, man. Appreciate yeah, it. You know, we've been talking uh, all week, and sometimes I had to work, but I go, man, I love this guy's stories. He has some good stories. Yeah, yeah, I can tell <laughs> you, Arne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but so, you know, if you could just kind of share with with the audience your, your background and, you know, where you grew up, where you're from, and you know, we'll start with that, and then we have some more questions to ask you. Sure. I was uh, born in uh, actually a little town named Hanford. Right south, south of Fresno, uh, but I was, you know, my family lived in Corcoran. La, La Raza is a small town. They would, we would go. They would childbirth. If it wasn't at home, most of the time they didn't take us to Hanford. That's where we were born. But we were actually lived in, in Corcoran, uh, twenty miles away. It's in between Fresno and Bakersfield. My actually, we got, I think we're going to have a reunion this year. Uh, my family got there as farm workers back a uh, hundred years ago. We're going to have a hundred years in that little town. Yeah. When, when you graduated from high school, Charlie. What what significant event happened? In terms of yeah, uh, when you you know when you got drafted and you you went to... oh no I didn't get drafted I joined, oh, joined. I joined two weeks I, joined. yeah I joined I I, I was uh, uh, like many different people in uh, you know in social class and as Chicanos you know we were farm workers so you know we didn't have much money but I'm not saying we were poor in the sense that people think of poor you just didn't have much money but you know we had a uh, you know uh, keep. Uh, uh, our certain cultural traditions is being Chicanos and farm workers. We were migrants. You know, we'd work all around uh, the San Joaquin Valley. We'd even go up to Oregon, uh, Northern California, Colusa, Yuba City, San Jose, fig prunes, grapes, apricots, potatoes, whatever it was. Sometimes we'd go to school two or three months later, late, because we were working. So, and I didn't speak English when I started school. That was hard. That's when they used to punish us. You know, they'd hit you or they'd put you in a closet, right? Or they label you. I'm sure people have heard these stories, but I lived through that. Where they put you in um, solitary confinement or they make you uh, stand in a corner, punish you because you're speaking Spanish, right? One teacher that I heard, and my mother said they did to her in Texas, because she's from Texas. That one teacher, would, they, they would actually make you stick your tongue out and hit you with a ruler. You know, very for people who study uh, psychology, SR theory, you know, stimulus response, behavioralist. That's very good in terms of, uh, not, not good socially, but it's, it's, it's a very good way of, of making people dis- dislike who they are, their language. And what else is you're hitting you in the tongue, eh? you know, creates inferiority complexes and, you know, always telling you, you know, if we you filled out, Let's say you're in the fourth grade. They tell you, oh, write a meal, uh, write a, a meal plan, right, for what you're going to eat during the week, you know, that kind of stuff. And I would put, oh, in the morning, you know, eat fried fried eggs and fried beans. The teacher would go, okay, oh, you don't eat that for breakfast. Nobody eats, you know, still, you know, everything. There was kids who actually would, uh, when they take them tacos, we didn't want tacos. And we had to have sandwiches because Mexican food was, uh, everything that's Mexican, Chicano, is, is negative, is bad, you know. This is 1955, 1956. There's some camaradas that they would actually eat their tacos, you know, what we call burritos. Uh, they would actually eat them behind the backstop. 
didn't want anybody to see them, you know. So that creates that's a, a lot of problems, and I still see that people with my age they do it differently now, but it's still always that you know watching the movies, you know uh, what they wrote about us and all that kind of stuff. So it was it's a psychological conditioning, and some of us still have it back in the where seventy, eighty, ninety years old. You still it's still there. I noticed that. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of shame that came with with yeah. it at, at that time more than than, than it yeah. is now. Yeah, it's still there, though. It's still there, you know, and uh, well, it's complicated the way the school system works, you know, and I don't know. We're not ashamed to eat Mexican food anyway, you know. Uh, we got Taco Bell. I don't know if that's uh, progress, but uh, it's not like it used to be, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about when you when you volunteered. Not a lot of people volunteer. You know, why is it that you were motivated to volunteer in, in during the Vietnam War? Well, you know, uh, there's different reasons. Actually, I had just got, you know, finished high school and, you know, I got, uh, oftentimes, you know, I was out, as I show in my documentary, the Soldados documentary, I was drinking and stuff and my dad got upset. He said, you don't drink here at my house. He drank so much and he's a World War II veteran. Told me don't, you know. So I said, hey, you know what, I'm, go- I'm, I'm leaving. I feel I had to go out on my own. There, there wasn't many opportunities. If I went to college, a community college at least, you know, I didn't. I would. Ha- I couldn't see my mother picking grapes and working out in the fields where I'm. I'm already 18. I consider myself a man. Why I should be in a nice classroom while she's out there toiling in the fields, you know? Uh, patriotism. I was very patriotic, you know. I thought it was fight communism. We grew up in the 50s, the McCarthy era, you know, and all that. Even now, you know, they still have that propaganda going on. Now it's more like terrorism and stuff. The same propaganda, though. Uh, so they just picked a different type of uh, idea for, you know, now it was before it was a communist, now it's the terrorist. But at the same time, they still bring up that communism stuff. You know, there weren't many opportunities. If I didn't go to college, I would have been drafted. Right. I wanted adventure. I saw a lot of movies, you know, John Wayne, you know, I wanted to be a hero. Uh, so it was a it was a, a mix of, of, of reasons. And that's why a lot of those uh, actually they call it the poverty draft. Most of most the guys remember they, they were only drafting uh, men. Okay, uh, my sister joined the army right after I did. She was in the army too, Irene. So it was all those reasons, and but I came out totally different, totally I, up to this day. It's just my politics changed. Who I am changed. My identity, all kinds of things. I, I remember, uh, you know, I watched some of your your documentary and I and I read your book. Can Can you share with us once you you got there, what your experience like? Oh man, my dad told me. He said, yeah, I wouldn't." Because he knows me very well. He says, don't go, man. You know, you find out something bad, as he says there. And I did. And I said, what the hell did I do? You know, what kind of stuff is this? And, uh, yeah. So, but at the same time, you know, I said, I might as well go through the whole thing. So I volunteered to go to Vietnam. I volunteered to be in the infantry. I didn't have to. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could have got, you know, I, I did okay on the test. Because, you know, within the military, they also have, even if you got drafted, but if you, even if you volunteer, you get more of a choice if you volunteer. And also, if you got better education, they give you better jobs. Clerks, you know, or musicians, or not in the infantry, right? So uh, I was in communications. I could have gone into communications. I could have gone into, uh, yeah, basically that's what I signed up for. But then I said, no, you know what? I want to go to the infantry. I want to go to Vietnam. I want to go fight for my country. I want to be a hero. Uh, you know, all this stuff, you know. And I want to see, oh, I want to prove my manhood. And killing people is one way of proving your manhood in many ways, uh, in the culture itself, right? When you watch these war movies and stuff, yeah, he's a hero. He killed all these people. 
<laughs> right? So that fell into that whole 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 trap in terms of psychology. So Charlie, uh, how, what changed? I mean, you went in, you had that, that mentality that you wanted to be a prove your manhood and go to the infantry. What pivotal events happened that changed your way of thinking? Well, well when I was in Nam, it was, a, it was a process. It just didn't happen all of a sudden, right? I volunteered to be the point man. I mean, I walked point every other day, man, you know, out in the, in the free fire zones in the bush, you know. Well, we, we lived in the jungle. We, we, I think I, out of the nine months I, got, I was there before I got wounded, I, was out, I slept outside the jungle in a bed maybe four days. The rest of the time we lived in the jungle. You know, we lived like camping all the time, right? But worse than camping. I, I, I began to think, I said, you know, why am I going to get killed? Why, what is the reasoning? Why am I going to get killed? Who, why are we fighting for it? We didn't talk about it very often, but we would discuss it once in a while. And we couldn't figure out why we were fighting, right? And no one could. But it didn't make any difference because we just knew we had to do a year to get out of there. So we were like prisoners, prisoners, and you're stuck there. And a lot of guys were drafted. Then I saw the... The treatment of the Vietnamese people, I began to identify with uh, the Vietnamese farm workers. I said, what am I doing fighting these these poor farm workers? And, and then I started to identify with them in terms of physical characteristics. You know, even because I was in a, for a long time, I was in an all-white platoon, which there were other platoons that had a lot of Chicanos and Blacks, but I happened to be one in all the, the almost all-white and some Black people, uh, guys, uh, some uh, soldiers. They came and then they brought in some Puerto Rican soldiers from the island. They didn't speak English, so I was their translator the last two, three months I was there. Anyway, I started seeing the, the treatment, the racism against the Vietnamese. Even the, some of the, the, the white guys would tell me, hey, they call me fat rat. Watch, watch, out, watch yourself from behind because you look like uh, with a G word, right? They weren't people. We were taught racism. Like when we were like in, in basic training in Fort Ord, we would actually go with our bayonets, marching, kill them, kill them, kill the, you know, the, the G word, you know, that's everybody, you know, they weren't people, uh, they were less than human, and you could kill all of them, that, that started grading on me, you know, and why am I fighting, then I started thinking, there, you know, what am I doing in this gringo army, that's where my Chicano identity started kicking in, well, why am I fighting, in, this is the same army that took the land from our gente, what am I doing in this army, right, things of that sort, so about after about six months, I just said, no, nah, man, I made a big mistake doing this. But I was stuck there, you know, I was stuck. And eventually I got wounded. But yeah, that's what uh, happened. I was actually thinking about deserting or going to jail. But that wasn't a, that wasn't a very way out. So what we did, oftentimes, especially after 69 and 70, uh, instead of search and destroy, a lot of veterans get upset with me. I've even been threatened by veterans of things that I, I mean, physically threatened, okay, because of the things that I say. But they can't say it ain't true. That's the thing. You know, and it's hard for uh, veterans and uh, going through that. And as far as I'm concerned, we fought for nothing. We fought, they say, well, thank you for fighting for the country. I tell them, you know, I, I want to be, I know what they mean, and I don't mean to, uh, to be disrespectful to them. But most of the time, I don't tell them that, but I will say it. In this place, here on your, on your, on your podcast, uh, you know, I was fighting for the corporations, Wall Street, and the bankers executed by the U.S. government. Can you expand on that? How did that work where the corporations were making a lot of money? Yeah, they're making like, well, it's, you know, there's, there's no, you know, I've studied this war. I used to teach college. I used to teach uh, a class on the Vietnam War. So I have my academics behind me. You know what? You talk to different people and they'll, they, they can't even agree what the war was about. Even the Iraq War. Well, there's even no agreement why that. 
that was happening, right? Yeah, it was uh, U.S. interests. They call them interests, right? For freedom and democracy. That's what they said. And then when I was there, I said, wait, wait a minute. They tell us we're fighting for freedom and democracy, yet we don't have that at home, right? We don't have that at home, and they're telling us to go fight for freedom and democracy, and I don't see that happening here. So why, 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 oh, why? there's a big contradiction. And even now, some veterans, people will tell me, you went to Vietnam so we could vote and be free? I said, well, you know what? I vote all the time. You're still free, aren't you? And we went to Vietnam. We lost the war, right? And you still and and you can still vote, so that doesn't make sense. It seems to be a contradiction. I don't know if I explained myself well enough on that. There's no correlation. We lost the war. You can still vote, and you're still free, aren't you? And then it's hard for the veterans too to admit that we fought for nothing. How did you, how did you deal with that, realizing that you fought for nothing? A lot of alcohol, a lot of drugs, a lot of anger, a lot of rage, PTSD. A lot of guys have it, but for me, it was. I was really politicized. And from, uh, you know, when I came home, you know, the Chicano movement, hey, man, you know, uh, Thai war, you know, and all that kind of stuff. That's uh, very difficult to deal with that uh, because I was trained as a soldier. So I kind of felt like I should be a soldier out here, too, except, you know, on the Chicano style, you know, Che Guevara. I started reading Mao Zedong. I started reading Ho Chi Minh, Malcolm X. And I went to Berkeley. I studied over there uh, for my undergrad. And I started traveling around the world. Uh, or at least North Africa, the Middle East, uh, down to South America. I was there in El Salvador, and I spent six weeks just watching. I'll probably be going to Guatemala as soon as this COVID thing is to do some uh, research over there, maybe even make some videos with the indigenous people and their, and their struggle. But I have to be careful. Yeah. I remember uh, watching the movie Platoon, these other movies, and you see all the, all the other Chicanos are kind of like really humble and not very strong in the movies they're represented. And it's always, you know, the, the, the white heroes, the John Wayne. But can you share with us what, what what it was really like with Chicanos going there and their participation? Well, yeah, you know, it, but these are just my uh, observations. I haven't been able to prove it. But, you know, as Chicanos, I, uh, we make very good soldiers as a whole for an array of reasons, uh, which I don't think anyone's really documented that that I know of. There are some academics, but they they mostly are very conservative in, in their analysis of our participation. We we make good soldiers as a whole. Part of that is our, our culture, you know, being a man and being a man of your word and having honor and pride and, and thinking and doing the best job you can. So it was all those type of things and then think we fall into that. But the one that story that I write about in my book Soldados is that the what's the story that I provide of those narratives uh, from those guys from my hometown, those veterans, is Chicano veterans, is that we, we went on strike. We, we, we refused to fight. And it was the, the Negros, uh, the black soldiers, who began that. They started saying things. Oh, that's the one that really kicked off my anti-war beliefs there. Well, we tried to strike, but it, it, if you read the, that section, you'll see how it came out. And we, they did pull us out, but we were arguing all night. But it was the, it was the black soldiers, uh, they called themselves Bloods, that uh, began that they they you know they 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 started retreating some of those guys and they said hey no ain't no con call me the n word you know this is a white man's war the war's at home and that one really stuck to me and that's what I felt now the war's at home I'm still a soldier but the war is going to be fought at home now okay but that creates a lot of problems for you <laughs> but, so when you're uh, over there you got you got politicized and you were seeing things that you didn't agree with and yeah, yeah and then you know it it really made you think about you know, your life, your participation there, also at home, when you get home. 
Yeah, yeah, the word that uh, it was the black soldiers who I was listening to, and you know, these are life and death situations. And we said, "Hey, the war's at home," I, and I took I took that to heart. Well, look at what's going on here. Got a movement, right? Yeah, I, I could read it. They would censor our mail and stuff, and I like applied. Uh, well, not applied, but I I subscribed to my hometown paper. They wouldn't send us no. They would not allow us to talk to reporters when they went out to the field. They would not let us talk. They did not give us any kind of uh, information what was going on in the United States because, you know, we lived out in the jungle, so we didn't have any means of communications other than within ourselves. So, but they, they did that. But I knew, I knew I could, I could tell certain things were going on. So that also influenced me. The anti-war movement here with the Chicana going against the war, that also influenced me while I was over there. I was going to ask you about, a lot of people talk about the North Vietnamese soldiers and their fighting spirit. What was your take on it? When you're over there. Hey, man, those guys kick ass, man. You know, they were dedicated, you know, and the women too, man. And I have that in my movie. I have a, in my movie, Dogs from Illusion, which is, is based here on uh, my novel, which uh, I'm going to reissue. It's about three. It's a, I call it a postmodern picaresque novel, Dogs from Illusion, about three Chicano as I go to Vietnam. Ese, Mancas, and Chuco. The three friends from the, the town of Illusion, which is my hometown, and I, I and I have a Viet Cong woman woman there in the movie, not in in the novel, but in the movie I do have her, and her name is Mao Ba, based on a platoon of Vietnamese women that they had that were actual fighters. When I fought with them, we fought with them a few times. I mean, face to face, you know, especially since I was the point man. I said, man, why are these guys fighting? And I, I mean, they fight hard, man. And I said, man, we fight hard too. We fought hard too, but. That's because we were placed, we had to, we were forced to fight, right? So I said, yeah, it, it's very interesting in one particular instance, really, we fought like maybe 15 feet away from each other, you know, with AKs like the OK Corral and stuff, you know, getting all crazy and stuff. And, and everything was flying, bullets and AKs and grenades and everything. I said, man, these guys are fighting. We're fighting to stay alive and they're fighting to die. There's a big difference there. Can you there. explain that? They were, they were fighting there. They knew they were going to get killed the way I figured it. They knew they could have taken off, but they didn't. They just wanted to see how many people they could kill. They sacrificed themselves, okay? Which we, we didn't want to sacrifice ourselves. We wanted to stay alive. So that's the only reason we were fighting is, you know, and even then, you know, some of the Vatos didn't want to fight, man. They, they're like, they were hiding in shit, you know? It was two different opposing philosophies on warfare, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and so... Uh, yeah, to me, that's the way I looked at it. But then that's where veterans get upset with Some veterans get upset with me. Well, you're romanticizing the veterans. I hate them. I mean, the Vietnamese. And all. I say, okay, yeah, man. But, you know, uh, you got to, you go, hey, man, they had a lot of, you know, they had a lot of spirit. And they were willing to sacrifice, man. That's where people get upset with me. Some people, not everybody. But you know what? My, I, I have my credentials, man, of, of, of what I did over there. And all that kind of stuff. I'm not bragging about it, but that's what I—that's my take on it. So uh, back home and dealing with all that trauma, you know, because you know, my, my dad fought in World War II, like I shared with you, and and you know, he he was infantry. He was a sergeant, and there was nothing to deal with PTSD. So how did you deal with it? What what was the progression of steps that you had to take for your healing? A lot of years, man. A lot of guys. A lot of drugs. A lot of liquor. A lot of dysfunctional relationships nightmares, you know, but even now people, you know, I'm still being, uh, uh, I still have treatment for PTSD. And a lot of guys do. We finally realized some of us after 30, 40 years, 
but people still tell you, oh, get over it. Even at the VA, they tell you, get over it, man. Yeah, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, there's, there's still, because, you know, we're men, we're supposed to be tough. Uh, we're, we're, we're warriors, and that, that's a, a weakness, even to this day. So I usually keep that stuff to myself, but I'll bring it out in public, you know, when I'm like this. But on personal conversations, I usually just keep it to myself because people will, will give you a hard time. Mm. So you go, you go to the VA and you went through uh, bouts of drinking and drugs, and but has there been anything that's really helped you besides the counseling? Yeah, yeah. Well, I did go to counseling until 35 years later. I always had uh, goals and a purpose. That's what, if anything, kept me going, you know, going to school, uh, being a professor. But I had a hard time being a professor with the administration because I would talk certain things and you know, the, I call the the, uh, the universities and the educational system uh, the uh, academic plantation. Well, they're like the police. They're the mind police, basically, even though they can be liberal, some of them, uh, but still, you know, uh, they're still pushing certain political ideas, nationalism, pro-capitalism ideas all the time, you know, one way or another, problems with that. And I'm, you know, once I get, uh, once I get into... Certain situations, I will speak my mind. As you saw in my first scene of my documentary. Speaking of that, when I saw it, it caught my attention. Yeah, well, that, that's what uh, I, I, what I'm showing there is, hey, as Chicanos, you could be a Medal of Honor winner. I didn't win a Medal of Honor, but, you know, I got some medals and stuff. Came home. I was uh, Before I went to the university, or actually I went to Fresno City College first, and I, and I was working out in the fields, and the Border Patrol came out and asked me for my papers. So here, here's your papers, man. I took my eye out, you know? <laughs> I showed it to him. Here's your fucking paper. Your eye, you, you lost it in. Yeah, yeah, it's a plastic one I have here. I got I got malaria three times. It gave me a heart condition. I got diabetes from the Agent Orange, things of that sort, you know. But still, the Border Patrol still stops you. We're still, we're, we are the permanent immigrants. We're always immigrants. You know, like Donald Trump, that fool, uh, that guy, he, you know, the, his his father and and, uh, and he marries uh, they're from Europe, man, directly. You know, his father and his well, his mother was from Scotland, but and his the first lady is well, whatever her name is, his wife, Melania, right, Melina, whatever her name is, and uh, uh, and you know she comes over here, she's white and she's a hundred percent American, and we've been here all this time. And we're still, you know, you're still stopped by the Border Patrol. But the interesting thing about that politically is like the Border Patrol in particular, half of them are Chicanos and Latinos. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, go figure. You got malaria several times when you came back and heart problems, diabetes because of Agent Orange. But how, how did you lose your eye? Oh, we were uh, in a firefight. And I didn't want to fight anymore, but I had, you know, and uh, our platoon was new because they had uh, we had a lot of casualties about two weeks before. The lieutenant wasn't very good. He was a good guy, but he wasn't very good. He was not very smart. Actually, that's another thing. The leadership in Vietnam was poor, very poor, disorganized. I mean, I went on a couple of big operations. It was just uh, incompetent people. Uh, all they cared about was body count, the officers. They just wanted to rise through the ranks, and they didn't care about their man, man. I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, you know, just there's a, a lot of, uh, you know, young people that are still going to war. And recently, yeah. did you ever share your words of wisdom about it? or? Yeah, any, any chance I get. Yeah, when I show, you know, because I've been out there. And when, the, uh, when my documentary came out was when the Iraq war started. I was really speaking out against the Iraq war, right? 
and, and, and going talking, they, they, I have a hard time getting into the high schools, for example, because I would tell them exactly what I'm telling you. And that's not, actually, I could have probably done a lot better economically. Uh, no one wanted to publish my first book. I got turned down by 90 publishers, right? But basically, I already know the narrative. Uh, uh, what they want to see Hollywood, the books is, you know, these poor guys that go fight and they fought hard. They faced racism and discrimination, but came back proud. They're the high, that we're the most the Chicanos are the most decorated soldiers in in the war, and they're really heroes. And then they live happily ever after, and they're real patriots and things of that sort. That's the storyline they want to hear. I could have done a lot a lot more if mainstream if I would have kept to that narrative, but I don't. Mm. So you're you're honest and you speak from the heart. Yeah, I speak with what I what I learned and what I went through. If someone and you know, like if you watch my documentary, I'm not you know I feel like I'm making an infomercial, but it's not right. I just try to explain. But at the same time, if you look at that, there's one of my my camaradas in there. He's extremely right wing, but I let people talk what they want to talk, even in my book. I may disagree with them. There's no problem. I still let them talk what they you know. I, I let them speak their way of thinking. But I know, especially the right wing ones, that they would not allow me to talk like that if they were doing a project. But I will allow it because that's part of our community, right? That, that we don't all don't think the same, even within our own families. There's disagreements, you know? Yeah. So I bring that out too. Even though I, I disagree with certain political thinking, I will still bring it out if that's part of our community. Yeah. With your book, what what motivated you to, to write that book, write those those stories about? Uh, well, I, I, it motivated me because I, I, I thought that uh, I'm of a thinking that uh, wars are historical events in history. So I said, you know, what better way to show that we as Chicanos and Chicanas participate in history than through a war? So that was part of my basic idea was to show that we participate in history. We're not an ahistorical people, right? And that we do have a place in uh, in history that's just ignored. Yeah, and, and often that's what happens. And you know, people uh-huh. always say that, you know, if you can't find a book on, on something, that's what you need to write about. Your second book, uh, you also have it available as well, right? You have two books? No, no, they're, they're both out of print. We're going to, I got the new version of Soldados. What I'm going to do with that one is, well, I've got a new cover, updated cover, and we should release it. Uh, the first one, Soldados, because a lot of people haven't heard about it, you know, even though, I, uh, you know, for a small company, I've done okay. I won an American Book Award. I've, they've been using it at about 50 universities and colleges in the past, but I, I need to rekindle that. I'm going to use that book, the, the Soldados for right now, reissue it to try to get funds to make my movie based on, on actually both books, The Soldados and The Dogs from Illusion, the, the, the novel. I combined both of them to make the movie for the script, and later I will reissue The Dogs too, probably this winter. And to get it out there to the gente and get on programs like yours so I can raise the money to make the film. Because uh, Marturo Cervantes, my associate, he's a filmmaker. Dan Salceda with Falcon Productions, we are going to do it ourselves. I'm not going to be messing around. I mean, if, I don't, I'm not even going to approach those Hollywood guys. I mean, if they may come around because we're going to put a lot. There, but at the same time, we got to maintain control. Can you talk about your, your film project? And also, is there a way how people could donate or support your, your film project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when um, I, I get it out in about a month, uh, you know, we're working on it right now in terms of getting the, I have a, a five-minute trailer that I think people will really like. You know, with uh, the main guys are Chicanos, but I got that Viet Cong woman. She's also the three dogs and her. They're the main characters, and they're fighting against her. 
Okay? But it's also, even though the main guys are Chicanos, I also have black, you know, there's black representation, there's white representation, there's Asian representation. I even have a gay guy in there. Yeah, these are based on true stories. I mean, you know, it's still fiction, but these are true stories from our barrios, gente, that I've gotten stories from them and things that I went through as well and my imagination. No, that's why. That's real. People, it's not a cookie cutter of what people, humans are. There's an array of humans. Yeah, we could turn into dogs. And I'm glad that you're you're bringing that out. You're representing society, the reality of society. Yeah. One screenwriter told me, a Hollywood guy, he read my screenplay. I've been trying to make this movie for 25 years, man. I've gone to Hollywood, talked to some producers there and everything, but, you know, they're not going to let me direct. You know, they just want to take it away from me, right? So, no, I'm going to direct this film. I'm going to give it a good shot for one year. And I'm going to get on there, and I'm going to put out the, the, the trailer, and we're going to have uh, the book to to uh, have the hint to buy the book. Uh, kind of like a GoFundMe type of thing. But, but I don't think I'll be able to raise that much money there, but it'll give us some seed money. And then there are... Uh, there is Rasa and other people, too, that have a lot of money, man. You know, we need a million dollars, which by Hollywood standards, I mean, they spent a million dollars on that movie Casino, not Casino, Goodfellas, just on the wardrobes alone. They spent a, win a, do- a million dollars, right? They spent a million dollars on catering, right? <laughs> and uh, But we can raise more. And it's uh, from a business point of view, this is a very profitable Endeavor, but you know, they have a monopoly on it, so we just got to do it ourselves, man. Soft term three vatos, ese, uh, mangas, and, and chuco, three camaradas, boyhood friends, uh, from the town of Illusion, which is my hometown. And one of them is loosely based on me and other people, they're composites, right, of people that I've met and know and stories that they told me. And but the, the, where this is really different from all other, many other, I mean, I would say 98% of the Vietnam War movies. Uh, actually, most of the war movies that are made by Hollywood, World War II ones, World War One, and all that, they're all cliches, man. I mean, they're well done, you know, but they're cliches as far as I'm concerned. The repetitive formula that they have about heroes. Everybody concentrates on heroes, but it's much more than heroes, man. You know, as I say, a hero ain't nothing but a zero. A hero ain't nothing but a sandwich, man. So what's, the, what's the reality uh, of the experience there? Because, you know, in the movies, everybody's a hero and they're they're brave and they yeah. do amazing things. They uh, save uh, lives. But, yeah, well, but what's the reality? Well, that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we never back down. I, I never back down over there other than the time we wanted to go on strike. But, you know, we we fought hard. But at the same time, we get to be very cruel. We're, uh, oh, is that one Hollywood director told me he read the, the script of Chicago Guy. He was a nice guy. He helped me out. The first time I, I, read the, I wrote the first version, told me, you showed Chicano warts and all. I said, yeah. I do not like stereotypes. I do not like that. Like you were talking about the films and, you know, where the Chicanos come out in Vietnam and stuff. And uh, when they do come out, and then usually when they do come out, they're always very docile like that. And also, uh, we're the first ones killed, right? And they're not the main characters, right? So... World War II ones, you know, they always killed the Chicano first, you know. And, uh, what is it, the Dirty Dozen? Trini Lopez comes out in that movie. He's the first one killed, right? And already they show him docile, as you say. No, 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 that's not that's not true, man. And, but at the same time, I don't want to romanticize it either like some other people do. Oh, we're great people. We're really good people. Uh, we do all these things. We're heroes. No, we did some dastardly things too, just like everybody else. That's a that's a good description because there's uh, diversity in the personalities that you're talking about and the situation and how we do it. So it's not just about heroes. I mean, my friend Mangas, who's based on a real person, he killed I don't know maybe fifty, sixty women and children. Man, he he machine gunned them down. He used to kill them. 
uh, he would torture them. He'd put, uh, he'd kill uh, the, the wounded prisoners with uh, putting a machine gun up their, their butts and killing them that way. Right? And Chicano guy, and he's a, now he's a retired command sergeant major, and he's out there in the parade, the first guy. In- this is a hero, right? He's my friend. I understand him, but he has a lot of PTSD. Yeah, man. but it's, it's a, what we define as a hero, like you were talking about earlier. Yeah, well, ain't nothing but a zero, man, because out there, there ain't no heroes. <laughs> there ain't no zero. But when they get back, yes, I'm not my guy. But I, I feel like telling them, hey, man, weren't you the one to shit your pants, man? <laughs> they get all pissed off. <laughs> they know it's true, because I know I'm like, oh, man, you lose body. You, you lose body, uh, control of your bodily fluids. <laughs> you yeah, that's, that's what my, my dad used to tell me that, you know, I, I would ask him, were you ever scared? He goes, we were all scared. He goes, we're oh, scared yeah, all the man. time. Uh, but no, I'm a man of peace, man. You know, uh, well, you saw what I, uh, yeah, that's what the movie's about and the struggle. I have one scene, oh, and because and I this is taken from soldados where a platoon of Chicanos, which was rare, they killed their racist captain. So I get to do that in the movie too. That's happened, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, not, not just the Chicanos, yeah, fragging. We'd actually have, uh, I mean, I wasn't really part of that, but I saw it and I heard about it. I mean, from other guys that they actually had bounties. You can, and this is documented. Okay, from uh, government sources, they actually had bounties on officers, the bad officers, because, you know, they the way they fought the war was based by um, uh, on a business model uh, created by uh, Robert McNamara, who was what he was the, uh, the head of General Motors for a while. And then he was a, a, a professor in uh, from Harvard, a business professor, He's an academic as well. And, you know, he, he based the whole thing and other stuff, too, but they based it on production. So the production was body count. The more you killed them, the more you were winning the war, and the, the more that the officers got promoted. They get medals and all kinds of stuff. But who was the enemy? Anybody, if they had black pajamas on, which a lot of the farm workers did, and you killed them, no problem. They're calm. Women, children, old men, everybody. And I read a book called Kill Everything That Moves by Matt Talib. He documents that very well. So it's not like... Like, I'm, I'm lying about that, right? But that's not what the books tell you. That's not what Hollywood wants to see, right? It was based on a business model on what Americans thought winning the war means. But then the North Vietnamese probably had a whole different philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the, the South Vietnamese was the so-called Viet Cong. I call them the resistance. Yeah, they had a, you know. But even then, after the war, they still had problems amongst themselves, the North and the South. But still, the North dominated. That's a different story, right? Uh, And I live here in San Jose, and I have Vietnamese friends. I'm talking about friends, friends, right? Participated in their weddings, and one of the women that I had a a long-term relationship. You know, so it's not like I hated to be. I never hated the Vietnamese. I actually identified with them, which was that didn't prove me very popular with a lot of the other guys because we were supposed to hate them, right? You know, racism. Chicanos, too. The racism, you know, the negros too. Some of them, a lot of, not everybody now, but it was, you know, it was was pushed, and that's a situation we were in. But I tell them when I go to classes in the past, and they say, "Well, what do you think about, you know, Vietnamese kids, right, or uh, even veterans from Viet- uh, Vietnamese veterans?" I tell them, "Hey, man, you know what? I had no business, man. That was your war. That's like me going to your house and telling you how to handle your affairs. You guys handle your affairs the way that you want to. That's none of my business, man." That's the way I deal with it. In, in retrospect, everything you went through, you know, you're here. You survived. You know, you, you're able to tell a story. Like, how how do you see it now uh, as an elder? Because you're an elder now, you know. 
Yeah, I'm old yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. No, but, but that's a good thing. Uh, elders have wisdom. Elders have power. Yeah, but then, yeah. How do you see it now when you think about it? What you went through? Well, I, you know what? I, of course, I've learned more. I've studied more. I've, I've gone around the world, uh, see different people. You know, seen a lot of poverty in the Philippines, and Peru, and all that. You know, Salvador. Oh man, it's horrible. And uh, basically the same as I did then. I'm still anti-war. I'm still against capitalism and the corporations, right? I'm still actually the same guy in, in that sense. But I've learned a lot more, right? You know, I've, I've studied more. But yeah, I haven't changed. My position, you know, uh, actually, uh, when I write, I'm writing my novel, a fictional memoir, I felt like uh, it's called The Real Life of a Dead Chicano, Patas de Perro. It's, uh, you know, a picaresque novel and picado. And uh, what I do is I um, consider myself like the Chicano Kong, right? The resistance. Now I'm a revolutionary over here, but in our minds, you know, and, and in the work that I do, that type of thinking. Just listening to you, Charlie, talk about, you know, how you're politicized when you're over there. You were, you opened your eyes because you saw the ugliness and the pivotal time in your life and it opened your eyes and close one too physically yeah but your 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 heart your mind is open and yeah and i'm anti-war man you know even though i you know i'm, I'm aggressive in that thinking but it's it's for peace you know and and it's very interesting when i talk like this people who are like for instance for we talk about the iraq war the vietnam they're all for it and all that kind of stuff right or afghanistan and i'm not i agree with you and but but can you share why? What are the reasons why you're anti-war? What 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 got you there to think like that? Well, because of the uh, inhumanity, the cruelty, the waste of, of, of resources, and especially these wars uh, that are uh, are perpetuated by an imperialist country that goes to dominate other countries. You know, and as we as Chicanos and Chicanas here, why do you think? Why are you anti-war? Why, why are you for peace? Uh, and yeah. Okay. Yeah, because, uh, you know, the in inhumanity of it, the cruelty, and just uh, they're unnecessary, especially when they're made by an imperialist nation that goes to dominate other people and liberation movements, etc. What they're doing in Africa, what they're doing in, throughout the world, they're still doing it. And I'm really against that. But that uh, and, and, and just um, it's insane. It's insane. But that's you know you go. I'm going counter to the political, uh, the politics, the, the mainstream thinking. Even if they're liberals, they're still into all that. So it's yeah. And then the ones who suffer the most, man. This would really hurts my heart. The children, like in Iraq, it's the children who suffer the most, and the women more than the soldiers. I think they're like in Iraq. I remember when. Uh, before the Iraq War, when uh, Bill Clinton was on there uh, as president, when Madam Albright, I think she was Secretary of State, when they pulled the blockade on there in the uh, on Iraq in the 1990s, they they said, oh, they asked her, and it's it's how you can find it on YouTube, where she said they asked her, Madam uh, Secretary, I think she was a secretary. Just it's estimated by health organizations that that blockade of medicine and food for the uh, against uh, Saddam Hussein before the war started, right? And led to the death of 500,000 children. Okay, you can find it on YouTube. She copped to it. She said, yes, but it was worth it. That's a half a million children. Okay? I don't think people really realize in their head what that really means. Yeah, because we're far removed from it. We don't see it. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's all this hero stuff and everything, you know? And, and yeah, like some of these Chicano veterans organizations, they don't want me around, man. <laughs> but, you know, I'm for peace. I don't know what, what the problem is at yeah. all. And, and you're, you're being honest, and, and you earned that right to to share your, your perspective. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, it's, it, it's sad, man. It, it hurts my heart without being mawkish about it or sensitive about it. Even now, it still, it still bothers me, man. What's going on right now, right? Uh, the, the drones that they're killing people in Africa, all these presidents, they're all the same in that sense. You know, all of them. Uh, Obama was killing people over there in, 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 with a drone program. They still, they, they got rid of Gaddafi, right? It's, uh, Hillary Clinton. And when they got rid of Gaddafi, they, they they destroyed that state, and they even have they were having slave markets out there. Did you read about that? They were actually having they were selling people. Yeah, you could look it up. But you know they put it in maybe in the newspaper, maybe two paragraphs or I mean a, a short paragraph. They were actually selling people. It was it was people were dying there. I mean it's 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 it's. It's insane, yeah. man. It's yeah. insane. So from your experience, from studying this and what you went through. You concluded that the, the people that suffer the most is the children. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, and, and yeah, we don't we, see uh, it. We can't put it into perspective. It's sad, man. Yeah. And, and those cars, you know, maybe never go away what they go through. No, oh no, those those children are like the, in Afghanistan, man. You know, and now they're they pulled out. The, and, you know, it's the military-industrial complex where they make a lot of money. You know, that that stuff costs money. Those bombs and everything—they're making buku bucks, man. The military-industrial complex, you know? Yeah. Well, it's a lot of money. It's, it's always a lot of money. Halliburton. Yeah, yeah, I need that. Oh, man, oil. Yeah, yeah. so as I told you, I, I have a very difficult time with that because uh, even now, probably some people hear me, but, you know, I, I'll tell you outright. Logically, as far as I'm concerned, Charlie. Well, thank you for you know your, your wisdom. I, I always enjoy talking to you, man. I always enjoy hearing your stories and and, and the wisdom that you carry you carry with you. And you know, I you know I, I want I want the world to hear what you have to say because it's very important. You have a voice and a very unique perspective that you know a lot of us only read about it. You know, I, I want to thank you in that way for that for that. Oh man, thank you very much, man. Yeah, you know, that's that's what keeps me going. That keeps me going. I have a purpose with that. This movie here that I want to make. And, you know, and then you see my Ethnic Studies Learning Channel, what I've done with that. I do, you know, I've done things with Tiburcio Vasquez. I, we, uh, I'm getting that program on the road so we can educate ourselves uh, through all this wisdom that we have acquired the last 50 years, you know. And uh, I'm having a hard time with that one, too. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of stuff. Out, there's a lot of talent out there with our gente, right? But... And I want to, I want to capture some of that talent. It's not just about me. I'm glad, you know, I, you, I heard you talk about it. That a lot of people from your generation don't have that energy no more. They're not doing very much. But I see you. You still have that. You still have that passion. Oh yeah, and man. That yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and, and, and you're, yeah, and you're yeah. fearless about it, man. That's awesome. Too. Yeah, well, not the, yeah, but you know, yeah, I'm seventy. I'm gonna be seventy-two. I'm gonna have to translate. Or maybe I won't. Yeah, yeah, is there? Um, how can people get a hold of you if they want you to talk or if they want to support you? Oh yeah, just go to choosemahouse.com. C H U S M A house.com, and there's my uh, my email and my I think my phone number's on there too, and uh, and then they can go on Facebook. 
and, put, and once we get this uh, going to try to get the money for the, the, the film with the, the people that I'm working with, uh, they'll be able to get me on TikTok, Instagram, uh, all that stuff.